Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Jessica George about her contemporary novel, Mame. Jessica was born and raised in London to Ghanaian parents and studied English literature at the University of Sheffield. After working at a literary agency in a theatre, she landed a job in the editorial department of Bloomsbury. In this episode we talk about writing a personal story about grief, how Mame was actually her sixth novel and second attempt at getting a book deal, and how she prefers to start writing her novel by hand. But before we hear that, here's Jessica with an excerpt from Mame. 20 minutes in, Angelica says, I'd like to refer back to our previous session and discuss two things in particular. Your need to end conversations with I love you, and the name Mame. Which would you like to discuss first? I pick the first option, though I'm uncertain what more there is to say. We agreed, Angelina begins, that a part of navigating life has to do with navigating people and their isms. We didn't dig very deep, but we briefly discussed your parents and how you were sure they loved you even though they failed to verbally express it. So Maddie, would you say you're well loved? That's an odd way to phrase it. But you understand what I mean, she says. One of my first observations was your obvious need to be loved. Your craving of it is reflected in your tendency to people please, even if at a cost to your mental health. Would you agree? It's difficult not to. Even contributing to your depression? Although there's still so much left for me to unpack regarding my relationship with depression, I nod. Good. I ask if you think you're well-loved because it's easy to conflate being well-liked with being well-loved. There's often a misconception that to be well-loved, the love has to come from multiple sources when truthfully, one or two people can love you with the strength of 10. Do you have people in your life who love you with the strength of many? Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here with me today to discuss your debut novel, Mame. Hello, Chloe. Thank you for having me. So can you start by telling us what Mame's about? Yeah, so Mame follows 25-year-old Maddie Wright as she's attempting to navigate her life as a later bloomer, but also as a primary carer for her father suffering from Parkinson's disease. So it's a story all about firsts of first love, grief, uh, unconventional family dynamics, female friendship, and most importantly, the power of names. So Mame in Twi, which is a Ghanaian dialect, means to be a mother or a woman. And from Maddie's point of view, I look at that in terms of 
what that kind of nickname and responsibility can ha- the effects that can have on you at a at a later stage in your life. Yeah, that title is something that almost becomes a another part of her personality. She even talks about it with a therapist, doesn't she? Yeah, so she's she's Maddie is trying to kind of figure out who she is, which I think is something we can all relate to, and it's kind of the the, the case of am I who I think I am or am I who I've just been told I am? And so that's basically the journey Maddie goes on. And I know the novel started as a very kind of, at a very autobiographical place because it started with your own diary entries, but obviously this novel isn't about you. So I wondered how difficult was it to kind of make up an entirely separate character from yourself, even though your initial basis was your own diaries? Yeah, I think I think it was actually easier than I I thought it would be because I knew I wanted to fictionalize so much. And I don't know, I this this is my sixth book. The the five I written before, they didn't go anywhere, they weren't published, but I feel like drafting those characters was a lot harder because I went into it knowing it had to be fiction, knowing I had to make it up. Whereas with Maddie, I wanted to make it up and I think that there was a bit of difference in that because it just came so much quicker to me I a lot of the characters are either inspired by someone or I've just heard them around or the scenes were just fun to create because I just thought well I haven't been in these situations but what would happen if I did put someone maybe a little bit similar to me in these situations and so she was very her world Maddie's world was very fun to to create were there points where you wanted Maddie to do something wildly different from what you would do and you were almost a little bit hesitant or resistant because you were like, well, I would never do that, but Maddie's going to. Yes, yes, a lot of the time. I think um, Maddie's people-pleasing was the most frustrating to me. So I'm, 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 I'm a lot more blunt and straightforward than Maddie, but I just, I kind of knew Maddie wouldn't react the way that I would react. And, and and that was kind of the, the point of the story. So I know I've I've heard people who go, I love Maddie, but I wish she would stick up for herself. And I'm like, I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just not Maddie. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely see that frustration at, at points where you're just like, girl, why can't you see like yeah. what's going on? <laughs> so you mentioned you'd already written six books before this. Do you think, well, I guess, what do you think was so special about Mame then? that to make this the kind of breakout daily novel for you? I think it was the, the tone of writing. I think uh, what I've heard is that Maddie's voice is quite singular, which makes sense because the books that I'd written before were me trying to either fit into the market or try and copy someone else's voice, try and copy another bestseller's voice because I just assumed that was how you got in. Um, and as soon as I started writing in a more conversational tone kind of the the voice that I I speak to myself with uh that's what that's what really got the attention of of agents and publishers Mm, and I think I guess because you had such a personal connection to the early stages of the book that's Mm. allowed you to 
to speak kind of openly about almost how the novel was formed as well because I saw in a another interview you said that I think your diary entries formed something like 10,000 words and then obviously we all know a novel is about like what 80, 90, 100,000 yeah. then you had a lot of work to do after that to kind of bring it up to a, a full novel's uh, length um, so on a practical level did you I, did you ever sort of look at these diaries and go there was something there was there was it was it kind of thinking about your the grief that you'd experienced almost you wanted to do something with that that was bigger than just your own diaries yeah so the diary entries were really just uh very much emotion based I didn't have any scenes I didn't really have any characters in those diary entries it was literally just this is how I feel this is why I think I'm feeling this way and this is what I wish I were thinking this is how I wish I were feeling um so that's why I say uh kind of the emotion behind Maddie's grief is the realest part of this book mm. in, in relation to me. Um, so it was, Maddie kind of came to my head when I was reading those emotions. I just thought, oh, what, just someone you kind of want to look after, just kind of pat on the back, say everything's going to be okay. And so I knew I had the character and I knew how Maddie would be feeling at a certain point in her life. And when I did decide to try and make it into a book, I kind of had to think, well, who is Maddie before her dad passes and, and who is she afterwards? And so simply just building from that, that's where characters and, and scenes and, and conversations came into the mix. One thing I loved about the novel is that I thought it was so well balanced in terms of showing all aspects of Maddie's life. And you've got like her career, you've got her friendships, her family, her love life as well. And I love the way you describe her as a later bloomer. So it's a kind of a coming of age story, but slightly later in life um, as she kind of tries to find herself. What was it like for you to try and balance all those elements? Did you have at one point more than, did you have like more focus on her career than her family or how did you kind of balance it all in a kind of practical way? Yeah, it, it's um, it's just interesting because I, I knew when I was going to be speaking about grief that I wanted to speak about how everything else keeps going. Um, I, I don't know why, but before I lost my dad, I kind of assumed everything stopped. And I was just so surprised by how I was still meant to go to work. I was still meant to go to dentist appointments. I was still meant to feed myself and all of those things. And so I just knew that they would, that I would have to talk about so many different aspects because they did continue. I, there was even more that I was talking about that I just I couldn't fit in. I remember <laughs> trying to <laughs> I remember trying to talk about um uh painful period pains because I came on my period the day of my dad's funeral and I just thought this is so inconvenient and such a why why would this but it's just that reminder that everything else still keeps going. And so I mean, if left to my own devices, I would have spoken about so much more, but but <laughs> book can only be so heavy. That's true. Was there a particular aspect of Maddie's life that you found harder to write? Um, I think her relationships, her, her, her physical relationships. Um, I just, I'm, I'm not very good at, at romance. I'm quite, uh, quite cynical. So <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think when it comes to like uh, 
I don't know, kind of happier endings or, you know, trying to depict how, you know, confusing it can be and how kind of sticky and uncertain it can be. I think that's that's definitely what I, I struggled with the most. Mm. Well, you're wrong because you're not bad at it. You're really good at it. So it was incredibly <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> I wondered whether you had a kind of favourite side character because there's loads of characters in your novels that are just like, in your novel that's just like so uh, full of life and memorable. And I mean, I imagine you enjoyed writing the majority of them, but do you have one that stands out as a particular favourite? I do love Shu. Shu, who's Maddie's best friend. I think I think she's hilarious. I think she has so many stories to tell. I wish I could. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But <laughs> I, I think I could write an entire book about Shu. I think she's brilliant. I think, and I, I think I heard you say on, a, on another um, on another podcast or something that um, lots of people comment about Maddie's mum, and she yes. she might not be the most like likable character, but she's certainly a really fun person to read. She's very entertaining to write as well. Yeah. She just she's just so easy to 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 create scenes. She's a bit of a show stealer, a scene stealer, to be honest. She's yeah, she's also fantastic to write. I want to touch back on the kind of grief element for a second, because um, one thing that Maddie struggles with is this idea of who she's meant to be in terms of how she's grieving. You know, is she grieving in the British way? Is she grieving in the Ghanaian way? And how should like how should she behave? How is she supposed to behave? And obviously, when you're tackling something like grief and you had those that emotional element of your diaries to deal with, did it? Kind of, uh, did you find it daunting to have to write about a subject that is so universal and so emotive and personal, and make it something that everyone can relate to? Was that a kind of daunting challenge, or did it just feel like because you had these diaries and you had your obviously your own grief and your memories of your father that it wasn't it wasn't so daunting because it just felt natural to write about? It felt. Uh, it did feel natural to write about, but only because I, I I really didn't think grief was one of the topics that I thought would be the most unrelatable because I just think everybody handles it so differently. There's just no one perfect way to do it. And I just thought, I kind of assumed that was that would be the case with everybody, that because everybody's experience with grief was was different, that they would read Maddie's reaction to it and simply be like, well, this is how this person reacts. And so that kind of took the, the pressure off when it was when it came to to writing about grief. And so, mu- so much of it was true in terms of in terms of me and my my feelings uh regarding the the process. So I there was some comfort in that in the idea that nobody could technically tell me I was wrong because mm-hmm. that was my experience with grief. And so those two things kind of made it very natural to write because there was no there were no fictional elements in those scenes have you found it hard during the kind of publicity process of this book because obviously there are elements of it that are you but have Mm. you found it difficult because people naturally assume that Maddie is Jess yeah I mean actually I'm I'm, I'm doing pretty well because a lot about 90% of the interviews I've been in are very much like I know this isn't 100% you but tell me what's inspired this part mm. about you and um yeah so it's 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 always difficult to 
to to talk about you know the Maddie and her father but I think I'm getting better at it. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's getting easier just because of my approach approach towards it. I'm just very much like I'm I'm very grateful to kind of have the ability to write about Maddie and her dad to kind of remind me about me and my dad. And so that's kind of how I approach it, kind of positive stance to it. Mm-hmm. I think as well, there's this assumption always with, particularly with debuts that your main character is you yeah Um, and it's always hard and I think particularly with women like that seems to be the main line of questioning that seems to be like the ultimate assumption um I don't know how we couldn't escape that but (laughs) (laughs) it's always the assumption always always so I'd love to talk a little bit more about your kind of your writing process in general. I know you've been writing for a long time and obviously this was attempt number six at, at getting a, a publishing deal. What is your kind of, do you have like a general writing routine or a process? Are you much of a planner? Are you someone that sits there with your post-it notes or are you, are you the opposite of that? What What are you like? I think I'm, I think I'm the opposite. I write on, uh, I write pen and paper first. Uh, before transferring to laptops I I now write on a three sheets of paper just because I ramble a lot and I kind of need the space to ramble to try and get to my point and so it's great to have just large pieces of paper that that I feel like I don't have to delete uh, which always makes the task more daunting Uh, I, I cannot write in chronological order I write the first thing the first scene that comes to my head and then I try and go okay what comes after this and what comes before who's around, who do I want to add, who do I want to take out. Um, my routines are very weird. A lot of, a lot of, I've noticed a lot of my writing time, I'm just thinking. I'm literally just sat there playing scenes out in my head. And I'm like, are any of these worth writing down? And honestly, about seven times out of 10, they're not. And so a lot of my routine is, <laughs> it doesn't look like I'm working, but I'm just sat there thinking. <laughs> I'm just like trying to write certain things down and trying to kind of see what I can take where. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Can you remember what the first scene was you wrote for this book, or is it too spoilery? So is the dad passing a spoiler? No, I don't think so. No, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was the first scene I wrote when Maddie got the news. Right, okay. Yeah, and that's that's a good third of the way. I guess that makes sense because it's such a pivotal scene. And then I guess, do do you find that it's easier to start with those big moments when you're writing? I do. I think it's easier to start with the big moments and also... That I think the hardest ones when I know it's going to take an emotional toll I like to just to to get them out of the way and mm. write them first um before going on to the kind of fun stuff which is all the make-believe <laughs> what what kind of aspect of writing do you dislike or find the hardest oh I hate when I have to describe surroundings I wish I could just write a book that's entirely dialogue <laughs> I hate when they're like oh my um my poor my suffering agent is like what does this person look like yes I have no idea what this person looks like I don't know where they are what's the weather like what's happening around them and I'm just like does it matter I they're wish just floating it in an empty yeah, room it's fine. They're, just, they're just talking to one another who cares what it looks like I'd rather <laughs> leave it to the reader's imagination that's just very lazy so that's definitely the part I, I don't love the most <laughs> well as we're on the subject of agents tell us how you got your agent was it for a previous novel that you'd written? No, so um, I had, so my agent for now, my agent now is called Jemima, and I had an agent before her for my fifth book, but when we submitted the fifth book to publishers, nobody wanted it. And then my agent and I parted ways because we couldn't really agree on the best direction for the book. And because that was my fifth book, then I had, so I had no agent for books one to four, then an agent for book five, and then we parted ways. And then when I was writing Mame, I finished it and went in search of another agent. And that's when I met Jemima. How did you feel then having written four books that didn't get an agent and you got a fifth book that did, but then didn't sell? I mean, how do you kind of come back from that? How do you pick yourself up from that? I mean, it's very, very crushing. I wish I could give like some really great motivational tips, but I I was really heartbroken because we were up to the, I was up to the so I've been writing for eight years and so I was up to about the six years six year point of trying to get published and just being um, constantly rejected and there was a long period of of me trying to kind of force force it and just say who knows how long it's gonna I don't want to wait another six years to get another agent. Mm. But ultimately, I think when it becomes stressful for you both, it's just, it's not helping anyone. And so it was the best decision to make. But I I have to note that I say this with the benefit of hindsight. So Mm -hmm. I say this knowing that I've then gone on 
to find a great agent, um, have a book that's gone to auction and that's done so well. But at the time, it's absolutely crushing. What was the thing that made you not give up? Just that I, I enjoy writing and I, I just I just always want to write. I think between book five and book six was the longest gap between all of them because there was that kind of thing where, I don't know, I kind of said to myself, maybe this is your sign that it's just not, like this is your official sign and you finally got an agent and that agent didn't work out. Mm. Um, but I just I just love writing. So I think even after my fifth book, maybe I kind of said to myself, I'm not even going to submit. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm just going to write and see what happens. And then, of course, I finished it and was like, well, of course, I've got this. I'm just I'm just so used to submitting. It's just automatic at this point. Let me just submit it and see what happens. And uh, thankfully, something great happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a happy ending, thankfully. <laughs> so one aspect of writing that I think a lot of writers who haven't been published or hope to be published get really nervous about is the editing process and particularly editing with an agent or editors because they worry that the editors are going to get them to change something like they don't want to change or they're yeah. going to interfere too much or whatever they or whatever they worry might happen can you speak a little bit about your experience working with your agent and editors to kind of uh to, to improve your writing and how did you find that was it um did you find that the manuscript changed a lot in that process it did and I have to say I absolutely loved the editing process I loved editing with my agent and with with uh my editors but I say that because because I didn't so much enjoy editing with book five but book five was before I became an editor myself so I used to work at a publishing house as a editorial assistant before becoming an assistant editor and it was there firsthand that I had books that I really loved like was obsessed with but knew it had so much work to go Mm -hmm. and it was just that that revelation that you can love something so much but say this is what we could do to make it better this is what we could these are my suggestions etc etc I think having that first-hand experience made the editing process so much easier because I put my I could put myself in the editor's shoes and so once I kind of accept oh this is everyone's working to make this book as as best as it could be and you know although I know the book better than anyone my editors and my agent know the market better than anyone Mm. and we are at that stage in publishing. Well, I mean, you could argue it's always been this way, but at that stage in publishing where it's not enough to write a good book. And so it's not enough to be just a good writer because there are so many great writers who are not published. There's just so much into it. And that's where editors and agents pour in their knowledge. And so I I always, I do get a bit like, mm, like gruffy when I see a lot of like, here's what we can change, here's the editorial notes. But we all do. right we just we just all do it's just natural because you know nobody likes kind of being told what to do in a way or being told how to do something but I always I always leave a couple of days between reading it first and then going back to it and also I'm very confident in when I don't think a change is working I'm, I'm I'm thankfully confident enough I think this again comes from being an assistant editor to just say I don't agree with this I don't I don't see, I don't think this is the best option. And I'm so open to explaining why I think I think so. And even when I don't understand an edit they've made, I'm very quick to say, what, what, what do you mean by that? I don't see how that's working. And mm-hmm. usually 
after an explanation, it just makes so much sense. But I think just having the knowledge that the editors and the agents are, you know, kind of working for the book, where all we all have one common goal, and that's to make the book as as great as it could be. It's easier to take on comments. Mm. I also think a lot of the time, sometimes the suggestions they're annoying because they're usually right, and you're like, oh, now I've got to do the work. Honestly, it's so the amount of times that's happened to me, and I'm just like, I really should have picked that up. And <laughs> like, or or oh my gosh, this is going to be like. 2000 words more work to just put in I remember <laughs> my my first editorial letter was basically like I think you should restructure the novel and I was like nope not doing no. it <laughs> and then I was like uh, yeah, I'll yeah. Be fine. <laughs> because again it's a conversation I think that's what people maybe people feel nervous about it because they don't realize that like you can push back. It's not like yeah. you must do this and you have to make these changes mm-hmm. and that you can have a dialogue about it and say, well, I don't agree. Like you said, I don't agree with this and this is why. And if okay. you can justify it, then, you know, most of the time I think editors will, will be convinced by the argument because exactly. you know it and you know the story better than anyone. So yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like you, I really enjoy that process. And it's just, it was always strange the first time because it goes from being something inside your head to something that's almost real and you're like but yeah. these are things I made up <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to talk more about your experience of being published because from what I've seen online you've had such an amazing experience both here and the US and it you know, the kind of reaction to your novel has been amazing and it's allowed you as well to become a full-time writer and have the kind of like dream experience I suppose so how has it been for you how have you dealt with the kind of ups and downs and is there anything in this process that you found either kind of surprising or challenging yeah it's been it's been very surreal a lot of wonderful ha- things have been happening in the in a short space of time just because I started writing this book in 2020 um and so it's been a long lead up it's been a long a long time of or how people are going to thinking about how people are going to feel, and the response has been absolutely incredible. It's literally more than I I thought was going to happen, and I and I hoped for a lot, but it was it was even more than I'd hoped for. But I guess the challenging bit is it's it's every good news is a reminder that that you know my dad is no longer here, and that's how this book even came to be. And so it's it's often a battle between between those two to prevailing emotions but the response has been incredible especially in relation to to being a young carer or to Mm -hmm. to going through the grieving process which I think unfortunately due to the pandemic rates of both have just have just skyrocketed and so yeah it does uh bittersweet feelings do do float Mm -hmm. around every now and again do you think your experience in the industry, because you used to work for a literary agency as well, right? And then you worked um, as an editor. Do you think those that kind of seeing the other side of the industry helped prepare you a little bit for what it was going to be like? Yeah, I think it did. I think, yeah, I, I guess I, I got to witness a lot of authors take it in their stride and kind of, I think one one thing that I took away that I love is that to just start working on a second book before your first one book has even come out if you if you get if you have that time in between and 
I think I learned that whilst working in the industry. I don't know whether it was the agency or the or the the publishing house, but just those those small pieces of of of, of advice that I thought were in my head the whole time, but I think I've actually come from from my working experience. Mm. And have you had any kind of really great reader responses or reactions that have stayed with you? Yeah, I've had I've had a lot about grief. I think it's it's such a I think it's just really incredible to to be so touched by a book that you contact the author to tell them. And they they they're so lovely because they always start with, Oh, I don't think you'll see this, but I just want you want to let you know that Maddie's story was such a comfort for me because X, Y, and Z. And I don't know, because I'm quite a I well, I'm working on it, but emotionally quite quite private person it just astounds me that something I've written has would move someone enough to say mm. Jessica I really I really felt something when I was reading your book and so those moments always stick with me yeah and I think it's particularly special when it's done with the book because you know that person has spent several hours yeah. reading your words <laughs> probably alone and and kind of you know absorbing all these characters as if they know them and I think that's that's such a nice testament to your work to have people write to you and say how much it's affected them so finally you you mentioned it sort of a little bit then are you able to tell us about what you're working on next yes I'm working on well I'm I'm in very early stages but I'm working on a book about platonic female friendship I just want to talk about how important friends are how life-saving they can be and kind of how I don't think they're valued enough in in, um, in comparison to like physical relationships or long-term partnerships and so I guess whilst Mami was a love letter to my dad I think book two is very much a love letter to to the friends in my life oh that sounds great you'll be converting all your a3 pages into yeah. nicely typed <laughs> notes soon <laughs> Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Clary. That was Jessica George talking about her contemporary novel, Mame, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.